בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוך השם. We're back in Aventura, the Breslov Center, continuing our Musar series. And Bezat Hashem, continue helping Neshamot come back to Hashem, continue getting Neshamot to work on themselves and improve themselves. I mean, they... The self-help industry, where uh, you have a, uh, coaches, you know, they call themselves life coaches, um, like a Tony Robbins type of uh, motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, uh, or you have a, a rich dad, poor dad type of personality, uh, you know, who wrote and made millions from the book, really, more than he did from uh, actual real estate that he talks about. Uh, and uh, the point is is that the self-help industry the motivational speaker industry the uh, industry that is in essence trying to piggyback off of what the Torah has taught us already for the last 3,300 years which is called Musar in a single word um, is a multi-billion dollar industry people are constantly looking for advice of how to live their life, how to improve their life, what do they need to change, what do they need to, uh, you know, tweak, how to be happy, how to be successful. The beauty of the Torah is that everything and anything that's any good in the world must have a source in the Torah. Must. There's no such thing as anything that does not have a, uh, a source in the Torah if it's good. If it's not good, it could be the creation of men. And, but the, the beauty of, of the Torah is that the Torah is one of the main reasons of why Hashem gave us the 613 mitzvot. The Arizal explains is that because in order for you to be good, in order for you to work on your midot, in order for you to improve your character traits, you need the mitzvot for that. Because the mitzvot are going to give you a structure of how to wake up. What do you do first? First thing you gotta do is remember, be thankful. Of course, you're thanking Hashem, He give you the neshama back. So first thing you have to think about when you first wake up is being grateful. An ungrateful person is one of the few people that Hashem hates. Ma'a says it. There's only a few people that Hashem hates, character traits that Hashem Amash hates, and someone that's ungrateful, they call it kfuy tova, Hashem hates him. So the first thing that Hashem wants to teach you, say thank you. Learn how to say thank you. Somebody gave you a ride, say thank you. Somebody got you a sandwich, say thank you. Somebody gave you, uh, you know, whatever you just ordered. Somebody just gave you whatever you just bought. Don't just assume, oh, no, he works here. It's his job to give me what I want. It's his job to serve me. Like he, Like you're some king. Overseeing is, uh, is, 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 little miserable slaves. Now even though you're the son or daughter of the king of kings, the reality of it is the king of kings doesn't act that way. The king of kings doesn't say, oh, you have to serve me with or without knowing why, with or without receiving an, an, a reward for it, with or without enjoying the actual task itself, with or without 
enjoying the world that I created for you. If Hashem was really acting like some people in the world, where they think that everyone's there just purely to serve Him, they would say, you know what? You have to do Birkat Amazon every day. You have to do every time you eat bread. You have to do Bahari Shona, the first prayer, the initial prayer. Let's say you want to eat a fruit, you want to eat a tomato, you want to eat a, uh, some type of a uh, cookie, you have to do a prayer. So if Hashem was like one of these people, that thinks everyone's there to just serve him just for that, just because, they would just make everything taste the same. Taste the same. You want to enjoy the cookie. The cookie, the orange, the watermelon, the rice, the meat, everything would taste the same. This is exactly what happened to the snake. The snake caused Adam Rishon to sin. And Hashem said, oh, you were supposed to be the king of all the animals. You were supposed to get the biggest prize out of all the animals. You walked like a human being. You were the most beautiful creature I created other than Adam Rishon. You're supposed to be a king. You spoke. But you put your hand when it doesn't belong. Now you're going to get the exact opposite. Now everything is going to be the same. Everything's going to taste the same. So first thing that Hashem Barak tells us is something that we all need to know whether you're Jewish, Gentile, whether you are a man, woman, child, old, young, first and foremost, be grateful. Say thank you. That's the first mitzvah. Start off the day. After that, you got to wash your hands. Or you got to go to the bathroom and then wash your hands. If you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom first and then wash your hands. Then do netilati daim. Don't do netilati daim and then go to the bathroom and then do netilati daim again. First go to the bathroom, then netilati daim. And the reason why is because the Asher Yatzal, there's a prayer, the prayer that's right after it, Eloi Neshama Shili, it's supposed to go one after the other. The Asher Yatzal and the other one is supposed to be connected. So if you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom first, then wash your hands. But what is the shame saying to you? Be clean. Be clean. Not just spiritually clean. Be physically clean. Don't be one of these stinky little losers that says, no, no, I... I'm a tzaddik, I'm a chassid, I'm a something, and that's why I don't take a shower the whole week. What, so everybody has to suffer because you're a chassid? You have a shower? Go take a shower. You have to go to the bathroom? Go to the bathroom. He's teaching you, be clean. Not just spiritually clean, of course. That's the next thing. After you're physically clean, then you can talk to me, Hashem says. Because in a place where if there's bad smell, you're not allowed to pray there. You're not allowed to learn Torah there. Not allowed to learn. So to give you a chidush, uh, in the uh, old days, Gemara says that um, you're not allowed to even think, even think divrei Torah inside a bathroom. Not even allowed to think divrei Torah inside a bathroom, but a bet miklachat, like a, um, a shower, you're allowed to think divrei Torah. Why? Because it's not a smelly place. Rav Tzion Abba Shaul, Zechat Tzadik V'Kadosh Libracha, gave a big chidush. He said in today's bathrooms, it's not like the Bet uh, Kiseh, like they have in the times of the previous generations. Even from 50 years ago, it's not the same. 
today's bathrooms are so clean where, first of all, obviously, assuming it's clean, is you uh, clean the seat, there's no tzoa, there's no waste anywhere inside the toilet, it's completely clean, and there's no smell, the actual mind, the actual water inside the toilet, are even good enough to do that yadayim. Meaning that if you want to wash your hands, a lot of people ask me this question, for example, what do I do if I have to wash my hands, but I have to wash my hands in the bathroom? I have to do the Tilat Yadayim. But then it says in the books, you're not allowed to think even, Tivret Torah in the bathroom. So how could I go into an impure place to go wash my hands and purify my hands, and I come outside and say I purify them? If it's impure, then whatever I did in it is impure. I would say, something impure only creates something impure. So now, the Abtzion Abashol gives a big chidush, and he says that when you actually clean a bathroom, and today's obviously a private bathroom, not a public bathroom that always smell or anything like that, it gets up to the point where the water is good enough to even wash your hands with the nudatilatidaim with the water of the waste, which means kalvachomer. It means that you're actually allowed to do nudatilatidaim there. You're allowed to, uh, you know, do your think about divrei Torah even. Not obviously while you're going to the bathroom. Meaning, if let's say there's a bathroom, it's a clean bathroom. And today's bathrooms are like castles of the past generation, by the way. You know, in the old generation, the bathroom was like a hole in the ground and always had waste. Today's bathroom, as soon as someone flushes the toilet, the waste is gone. So this is one of the big chidushim that a lot of people have this trouble if they have a small house or they go to their guest at someone's house and they see sometimes, for example, they see the rabbi doing it like the dime inside the bathroom. They're like, wait, how, how could that be? That's the reason. The reason is because in this generation it's actually allowed, not because the generation is weak, not because the generation anything. It's because the bathroom of today is different than the bathroom of yesterday. What was your question? What, what do you... Uh... What do you mean? Purify your hands. Purify your hands? From any any tum'ah that you have on your hands. From from a uh, from things of that nature. Yeah. Right. Right. No, that's what I'm trying to explain to you. The Shulchan Aruch that was written approximately 500 years ago, in those days, the bathroom always had wachra because the wachra, first of all, it's in a place that smells. One of the reasons why you can't pray or do anything in a place that smells is because there's wachra there. But aside from that, the um, the bathroom that we're talking about in the Shulchan Aruch is the very bathroom that they talk about the same thing in the, in the Gemara. It's a hole in the ground or it's a toilet, but there's no plumbing. The bathroom of today does not have a wachra if it's clean. Again, emphasis on it clean. Well, if you're one of these uh, normal house of a uh, of a married couple's uh, house is usually clean. If it's a bachelor, then forget about everything I just said because they probably never clean anything. But if it's a uh, if it's somebody married or somebody that's uh, cares about the uh, aesthetic look of his house and doesn't want to be like a garbage pail kid. Um, then he's going to clean the bathroom. So, meaning there has there cannot be any waste whatsoever in it. Waste meaning from your body can't be any urine there or any feces there. No, you know it has to be clean. 
Um, in that case, you're allowed to use it. Now, again, obviously, if you have a uh, you know kitchen area or someone that's uh, nicer to do it, do it over there. But if you do it in the bathroom, it's not a uh, you're not you're not uh, you're doing everything perfect. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with it because the bathroom, when it's clean, does not have the wachra when it's clean in this generation. Now, again. This is a different, completely different uh, bathroom, and it's very hard for us, uh, especially the younger generation, to think of anything uh, like that because uh, for us to think of a life without plumbing is unfathomable. Like imagine every time you have to go to the bathroom, you have to leave the town. You have to go five miles out of town. Imagine that. Can you imagine that? You can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. Why? Because we're thinking as soon as I go to the bathroom, I go to the bathroom 500 times a day. Well, I'm going to go five miles down, I'm just going to live there. Why is, it five, why is it five miles outside of town or three miles outside of town? Because it always had waste. So it would be disgusting. Well, wasn't it just a hole in the ground? Yes, yeah, a hole in the ground, but it was covered. No, people didn't just like a... Uh, uh, they had, they had, you know, they had a... Uh, they had to be modest. So if the point is, is that the... Uh, the point is, is that with the, uh, the times of change, we took advantage of it, obviously. There's certain things that have changed because of it. But nonetheless, there's a lot of things that we can learn from the sages, that uh, from this generation, from previous generations, of how privileged we are. Now, moving forward, as far as the um, character traits that everyone wants to continuously work on, is how to make money, how to be more successful in life, how to do everything and anything that they're doing better. How to do everything better. And the beauty of the Torah is that the Torah already gave us an instruction set. If you as a human being are better, the outcome of your actions will be better. But if you are a despicable human being, then the outcome of your actions most likely will not be. Now this is a limited statement in a sense that there are plenty of evil, wicked people in the world that are very, very successful in certain aspects of life. So it's not that necessarily just because somebody's uh, a bad person, uh, they are poor. It's actually quite the opposite usually. Uh, but meaning that if someone wants to work on their character traits, they don't, don't need to look any further. They don't need to buy any self-help books. They don't need to go to any seminars. All they need to do is either come to the lectures or perhaps watch them or read the books by the sages, whether it's Pirkei Avot, or Mesiyat Yesharim, or the book by Rabbi Israel from Salant, or Pele Yoetz. There's plenty of books that were written in the previous generations about Musar. Now, the problem is, is that we think that a lot of things have changed just in the past generation. And that's actually what I used to think as well where a lot of things have changed, where, you know what, our grandparents, with Sadiqim, were 100% Rashaim. But in reality, the problem always existed with Am Yisrael. We've always had wicked people, we've always had righteous people. What's happened in the last couple of hundred years has been very different from any other time in history. And in the beginning of the book, by Rabbi Yisrael from Salant, which was actually written by his disciple, Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer, he says this, Man's strength 
has continue, continuously waned until, the, until this generation, which is the late 1800s, so this is a little over 100 years ago, where in the wake of our many sins, our health has deteriorated and we are overwhelmed with frailty. Pain and illness from all types of disorders affect the majority of people. Likewise, peace and harmony of the soul, meaning it's very life force, is virtually non-existent. So already in the beginning, it sounds like I'm reading a book from today, from one of today's authors. Continues, he says, the impure, an impure spirit has succeeded in altering our reality, bringing numerous innovations that are patently inferior and a host of substandard modifications in the service of the Creator. So unlike what we thought previously, we thought that all of these strange movements that are starting that are not exactly the most kosher way of, of, of servicing Hashem and, and worshipping Him, he says it's already started a couple of hundred years ago. And even in the times of the Arizal, uh, this, uh, which is even before that, there was uh, all types of uh, strange things that people tried to modify the Torah. But here, he's talking about something specific. Here he's not necessarily talking about Hasidut. He's not talking about any uh, reform. He's not talking about uh, uh, specifically on the conservative. He's not talking about that. What he's saying here is something very, very interesting and very relevant to today. He says, In all areas of divine worship, weakness and fatigue of the spirit are clearly recognizable. The soul's power is continuously diminished until we find ourselves in the most amoral of times, wherein disease of the soul is an almost universal reality. May God have mercy on us. Close, a close scrutiny of the general situation of Torah and heavenly fear reveals that the spiritual degradation of fear of heaven is much more rampant and destructive than the basement of Torah study. And the ramification of this weakness are far more serious. In earlier times, Torah knowledge and fear of heaven perfectly complemented each other like inseparable twins. Moreover, the Torah itself is not invulnerable because without fear, the vitality of the Torah will ultimately be debilitated as well. May Hashem have mercy. So I skipped around a little bit of a few things that I highlighted. So here, in so many words, what he just said is that although the Torah is being studied, even in his day, they still study Torah. The Torah is being studied. It's being learned. People are going to the Kolelim. They're going to the Bet Midrash. They're going. It's not that just people just... Uh, everybody became reform overnight. Everybody became conservative Hashem Hashem overnight. No. It's that people are going to Kolel. People are going to Yeshivot. The problem is something changed. Something changed in the air. Something changed. Someone, mod- someone impure modified the system. What did he do? He took out the teachings of Yirat Shemayim. He says they're studying the Torah like you study any secular subject. Studying Torah like they're studying physics. They're studying Torah like they study all types of science, all types of languages, all types of different arts and crafts. They're studying it as an intellectual thing. And by studying Torah without studying Yirat Shemayim as its foundation... 
He says the Torah itself becomes vulnerable. It's no longer the same Torah because it won't have the same impact on the person. And this, unfortunately, is one of the things that I see as a major epidemic in yeshivas today where I see that some people that like to debate me or other rabbis, they're not always amalets. They're not always ignorant people that know nothing. Many times, actually, more so than ever, they're actually people that used to go or still go to yeshivot, yeshiva university or other places, and they love to debate. Not for the sake of heaven, not for the sake of, listen, I want to get to the truth, I want to get to see what Hashem really said here, I want to work on myself, I want to do that. No, no, no. For the sake of who's right and who's wrong. I want to show the world this so-and-so rabbi is wrong. And I proved it to him. How? I proved it online, in public. They don't go and like, they don't send an email privately saying, blah, blah, blah. Don't send an email privately and say, listen, I saw you said so-and-so in a lecture, but I heard something else somewhere else. No, no, no. They make sure the world sees. They make a whole new file, a whole new post, a whole new page to make sure the world knows I have a different opinion. I disagree with the rabbi. Because, ta 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 and everybody becomes Rashi. So here you have a serious, serious problem. Because when someone learns Torah, it's supposed to improve his character traits. It's supposed to soften him. It's supposed to make him a better person. It's supposed to improve his relationships with Ben Adam Lechavero and Ben Adam Lemakom. Both the relationships he has with other people and between him and Hashem Barach. But Chazal says, if he's learning his Torah for something, from some other reason, to get kavod, to show that he knows something, money, some other reason other than the actual real reason, it was better that he died at birth by getting choked by the shilya, you know, the, uh, what is it called? The, not the umbilical cord, the, uh, the, uh, the placenta, the placenta, chazak baruch. They say that, you know, when the uh, baby comes out, sometimes the shilya is on their face. It says, it's better they would have stayed on his face and choked him to death. So Chazal asks, this is kind of, I mean, God, the guy's still learning Torah, it's that bad? That you'd rather not him coming to the world? Because yeah, it's that bad. Why? Why is it that bad? Because before he came to the world and became a Chilul Hashem walking, going against Hamidim Chachamim, going against rabbis, or just in general showing arrogance due to the knowledge that Hashem gave him anyway, from Torah. Before that, the angel already taught him everything in the Torah, much more than what he already knows now. So before he actually came to this world, he knew more. And he wasn't a gaftan, he wasn't prideful, he wouldn't have bad midot, he's perfect. He was better off he stayed that way. He knew more and he was better. Now he thinks he knows more and he's worse. It's better off he didn't come to the world. So this is one of the things that happened as a result of what Rabbi Yisrael Misalant and Rabbi Blazer are saying. When Torah, when Limut Torah is not done together with Yirat Shamaim, the effect of the Torah 
It's not the same. It's not the same. It cannot be the same. It cannot be the same. You cannot study Torah purely for intellectual reasons and ignore all Musar, all Tochachot, all the things that are rebuking you and slapping you back to reality, reminding you that you started as a little putrid seed and you're going to go and become eaten by the uh, maggots eventually. You forget about that part. You worry so much about what happens in the middle. It says your Torah is Torah about Hashem. It's not even Torah. It's not from Shemaim. And this is one of the most important things that distinguishes us from the traditional self-help book. The self-help book, especially of today's generation, he's going to tell you, yeah, listen, to be happy, smile for 20 minutes straight. Smile for 20 minutes straight, look at yourself in the mirror smiling for 20 minutes straight, and you'll see that your mood improves, which is true. Your mood will improve. It's only one problem. It's temporary. It's temporary. Why? Because, okay, you smile in front of the in front of the mirror for 20 minutes. You're happy for the next hour, let's say. But then you get a flat tire. What are you going to do? Smile again? You have to change the tire. Your bank just called you say, listen, sir, uh, you have an overdraft uh, and your mortgage was uh, checked, just bounced. Are you going to smile? What are you going to do? The kindergarten teacher just called you, hey, sir, uh, I'm sorry, uh, your son just fell off the uh, glitch over there, the little ramp over there, and he uh, broke his hand. We're in an emergency room. What are you going to do? Smile? Let me look at the mirror. Hold on. Let me do FaceTime. What are you going to do? This is the nonsense that we're missing. And people spend an enormous amount of money and time going to these half a lesson. Listen, they mean well. The coach means well. But without the actual rebuke that is necessary, without the actual divine instructions of, hey, my friend, yes, you can smile in front of the mirror, but just remember, the smile is not going to fix your problems. You stop doing what you're doing, that's going to fix your problem. Stop stealing, that's going to fix your problem. The cops are not going to chase you anymore. Stop yelling at your wife, that's going to fix your problem. You're not going to have slow bike problems. Stop writing checks when you don't know you don't have a, you, uh, you don't have money in the bank. That's going to fix your problems if you stop doing it. Stop doing what you're doing wrong. But if we keep telling everybody, no, chaber shedi, achi, my brother, you're good. We love you. Everything is good. You're the best. You're the best. Constantly give each other compliments. If I got compliments all day, why would I need to change? And this is where Nabi Salam Salant and Ba'alea Musa in general are constantly reminding us that this is a very necessary part of your development. You need to be reminded of things that you've done wrong in order to fix them. If you're not reminded of what you're doing wrong, if you're not constantly doing cheshbon nefesh, meaning you're actually looking in a mirror, not smiling, you're looking in a mirror and reflecting, okay, what did I do wrong? Based on the instruction set that the divine creator gave me. What did I do wrong? So now, this Mishnah, Mishnah Gimel Bet, continues to elaborate on this point in a different way. רבי חנינה, סגן הכהנים, אומר, הווה מתפלל בשלומה של מלכות, שימלא מוראה איש את רעהו חיים בלעו. 
Rabbi Hanina, the deputy Kohen Gadol, meaning he was second in command after the Kohen Gadol. If the Kohen Gadol needed a replacement, he's the first one to replace him. But in general, the uh, deputy Kohen Gadol, the Zgana Kohanim, he was the one that would take care of the business, take care of if there was communication with other governments, if there was communications with uh, other leaders, all of the major communication, usually the vice president does. President comes to sign the contract. President shows up, the Kohen Gadol, the Avdil, comes the five minutes of prayer during Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, why? Because that's where I need to be holy of holies. I can't even think, can't even think of a bad thought. Why? Because if the Kohen Gadol goes into Kodesh Kodeshim and even thinks of something inappropriate, he dies on the spot. And since no one else can enter the Kodesh Kodeshim, they would have bells on his uniform that would make sounds every time he moves. So as soon as there was no sound, he's not weighing, he's not praying, he's not doing anything, what do they know? He died. So now you're going to get him out. They had a chain connected to his leg. They would pull him out. Because no one else could come in. It's Kodesh Kodeshim. Shechina is inside there. Continue. So now in the times of Rabbi Hanina, Zgana Kohanim, was a very, very difficult time during Bet HaMikdash Hashani. Where the Romans made business out of Judaism. And they said, listen, whoever wants to be Kohen Gadol can buy it now. You can buy the position. You have money, you be Kohen Gadol. You can't just buy the Kohen Gadol position. And the reason why is because every you have to go to Kodesh Kodeshim. Okay, so the whole year you're a show-off. The whole year you wear the uniform, you wear the three-piece suit, the eight-piece suit, this suit and that suit. You look good. You have meetings with the presidents. Everything is wonderful. Five minutes, still coming up. If you're not righteous, if you're not 100% pure, not 99, 100% pure, not just the five minutes, the whole year, instantly as you walk in, die. So you have to really think about this and say, ah, nobody in their right mind would ever buy something like this, even if they have all the money in the world, it's not worth anything. He knows he's going to die. But what we see in Bet HaMikdash Hashemi is there were over 300 Kohanim during the 420 years we had Bet HaMikdash Hashemi. Meaning there was a new Kohen almost every year. Because one Kohen was there for 80 years. So there was a new Kohen every year almost. Now think about this for a second. The first guy, okay fine, the guy's a millionaire, he thinks he's smart, because you know, usually people that have money, they think the IQ is as high as their bank account. So every dollar is in the bank account, IQ is higher. That's a normal feeling. It's not a good one, but it's a normal feeling. So now, the guy goes in, he dies. He's not righteous. Shem kills him. Shem doesn't play games. Second guy comes in. He goes, no, listen, I'm more righteous than this guy. He was a wicked. He, you know, 
He didn't really make his money the honest way. He stole a few dollars. I made my money the hard work. I'm more righteous than him. He dies. Okay, fine. The third guy sees, I'm more righteous than both of them. He dies. Fine, I can explain the first few. You know what? Let's do Kafshut. You can explain the first 299 somehow. Somehow everyone had an excuse that they all thought that they were righteous enough to be a coin Gadol. What about the guy number 300? You just saw almost 300 Kohanim die every year. And you're still buying the coin Gadol? You still think you're more righteous than everybody else? Are you that stupid? Are you that dense? You just saw 300 people die. It's not like 300 people died in a uh, five minutes like a plague of some kind. Every year, the guy goes in, doesn't come out. What makes you think you're better than 300 people? First guy, okay, fine, I understand him. Second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth. But 300? And this is actually one of the things that Rabbi Hanina is here to tell us. He says, pray for the welfare of the government because if people did not fear it, a person would swallow his fellow alive. So first and foremost, he's telling us something very strange, especially in today's age. Pray for the government. But the second part is even more interesting. He's saying that if there was no government, each person will swallow his friend. Not his enemy. His enemy, of course, he wants to swallow him alive. He wants to kill his enemy. You tell a guy, listen, what do you, uh, you tell a uh, Palestinian, what do you think of your next door neighbor Jew? He says, I want to kill him. You tell the South Koreans, what do you think of the North Koreans? I want to kill them. You tell Pakistanis, what do you think of the Indians? I want to kill them. Everybody wants to kill. He says, no, no, no. This is not. This is enemies. Of course, enemies. Kalvachomim. But no, no. He says, your friend. Your BFF. Guy you grew up with. If there was no government, there's no leadership, you'd not only kill him, you'd swallow him alive, meaning you'd leave nothing. But you know, sometimes you see these big fish, they eat the smaller fish, they don't, they don't leave any, any remains. So please pray for the government, he says. Obviously, this is the basics. Let's go into the details of what he means. First and foremost, many people call themselves patriot, uh, patriotic, whether it's the United States, or it's Israel, or whatever country they live in. Oh, I love my country, I love my country, I love my president, I love my president. In reality, first thing Rabbi Hanina is telling us here is that praying for the government is for your own self-interest. It's not really because you love Donald Trump. It's not really because you love whatever other leader you have. Is that you actually need them to run the country. Because if they didn't run the country, if there was no president, if there was no king, if there was no superior, if there was no cops, there'd be chaos. There has to be some level of order. So please spare us your patriotism 
and realize that you're really doing it for your own self-interest. Why? Because you wouldn't be able to survive. Why? Because your BFF is going to eat you up. So you need them. So you don't necessarily... Chazal says, if, as long as they're not going against the Torah, don't attack them. Don't say, oh no, this, this guy is a bad guy, this guy is a loser. Don't do any of that stuff. Like the people that go and make protests against certain presidents or certain politicians for no reason, like they just don't like them, they don't like their policies or whatever it is, unless it's a policy that's against Torah, unless this is a person that's, let's say, for example, he, he's a hater of Israel, if he's not a hater of Israel, be quiet. Don't voice your opinion, don't say anything. Serves no purpose and it's also not allowed. Especially if you're living in that country. So, the first thing that Rabbi Hanina is telling you is that you need them. You need order. You need some type of memshala, some type of government, some type of superior power that's going to run the show and is going to tell people what to do. And the reason why is because to tell people, listen, you need to do it because it's a good idea. I tell you, okay, thank you very much for thinking it's a good idea, but that's your opinion. Your opinion is for me to work nine to five. My opinion is I'm going to go rob a bank. Who says you're right? Your opinion is going to take me 30 years to pay my mortgage. My opinion, eight minutes or less. So who's right? So you need to have some type of government order to put everything in place to keep people under control. So the first thing is, before anyone says, listen, I'm patriotic, you should actually ask yourself, are you really doing it because you love the president that much? Or are you doing it because you really need it? Now, how do you know the answer? You know the answer is if, let's say, for example, they say, okay, so you love the president, so you go and you march every day. Or you go and you, I don't know, do some type of campaign. Would you still do it if you were fined every time you did it? Every time you gave a compliment to the president, you got fined a hundred bucks. Would you still give him compliments? If no one knew your opinion, would you still express it to the wall? You still talk to the wall, oh, I love President Trump, I love President Trump, he's great, he's wonderful, but nobody's listening to you. Would you still do it? So, obviously the simple answer for a normal person is no. Which means that there is a self-interest behind it. There's a self-interest, you're not doing it purely because you love anyone. You love yourself. So why do you love yourself? Because you want, obviously, you don't want your friend to swallow you up. You don't want your friend to kill you. You need something of order. So what is this like? Rabbi Hanina is telling us this is no different than your service of Hashem Itbarach. Many people in our generation love to talk about how they want to do tshuva be'ava. They want to do tshuva because they love Hashem. Especially people that are connected to the Hasidut movement, whether it's through Breslev or through uh, uh, Chabad or other Hasidim. They love to talk about loving Hashem. Hashem, you know, they sing to him, they sing and they sing and they sing. In Vegas they sing too. They sing in Vegas with all the Tavat Hashem that's over there and everything else. They're saying, Hashem, we love you, Hashem, we love you. And in the club they sing, Hashem, we love you. So you're going against them, but you're saying you love them at the same time. So, 
This is a serious wake-up call of how do you know if you actually love Hashem or not. If there was a bat call that came down from Shemaim and said to you, Steve, from now on, there's no more punishment. Do whatever you want. It's on me. No punishment. You know everything we wrote? Everything wrote, Shabbat, all over the Gemara, it talks about punishment, punishment, punishment. Everything this Rabbi Yaron says, canceled. Everything that the Rambam said in Yilchot Tshuva, if you read it, you start crying. Say what happens to the wicked. If you hear what Masechet Genom and Rashid Chokhmah talks about what happens to the wicked, oh, yo, yo, he says, no, no, cancel. For you, Steve, it's on me. Do what you want. Now, Steve, now, Simcha, what are you going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do? Is the first thing you're going to do is go online, eBay, I'm buying a poker set so I can start having a game in my house? I don't even need to go to the casino anymore. And you go borrow all the money in the world from the credit cards so you can take it to the tables, go to the clubs, go to this, go to that. On Shabbat, it's no Shabbat anymore. He says, but Kol says it's canceled. The girl takes off her jacket. She puts back the miniskirt she's been keeping on the side the whole time just so nobody sees. No kisui rosh, no nothing. We put back the tank top we had. Is that what they do? What do you think, Amos? What do they do? Or, they operate normal. Time to go to yeshiva. Pray. Atanu, avinu, pashanu. Hashem, we love you, I love you, I love... What do we do? No, Amos. Become wicked. So does that mean you really love Hashem or not? It means you love yourself. Aha. So it means if you're going to go to Las Vegas and become modest and you're going to make all the things that before you heard this but call tell you everything's allowed from now on, just like the Christians say, everything's allowed as long as you believe in J.C. Penny. Go, you could be Hitler, you could be Machimo, you could be this one, you could be that one. You believe in some guy died 2,000 years ago, everything's good, it's on us good. It could be Karl Marx. You could be Martin Luther in Machimo. You could be all these Ta'avat Hashem people. Just believe J.C. Penny. Shtuyot. So, if you actually have this but call, say, listen, everything's allowed. And from now on, you're going to start doing everything else that every all the Goim are doing. You're going to start operating as if there's no Deen, there's no Dayan, there's no Torah, there's no Mishnah, there's no nothing. You're going to go and act like the animal that you've been the whole time. Then you, my friend, don't love Hashem for even at one penny. One percent love you don't have. One percent. Why? Because if you love somebody, you do it just because. If you love somebody, you do it because it makes them happy. Not because it makes you happy. What makes you happy is making them happy. 
What makes you happy is Hashem being pleased with your neshama fulfilling His will. Not because you're going to get some scha, you're going to get Gan Eden, or Lamaba, you're going to get Parnassah, you're going to become rich, you're going to become powerful. No, my friend. That's not Avat Hashem. That's business. If you're doing your mitzvah because you want Hashem to give you money, that's business, my friend. If you're doing mitzvot because you don't want Hashem to punish me with an illness for seven years, that's Yirat Shemayim. That's not love. It's good. Good, start that way. But don't call it love. Don't tell me, oh, we love Hashem, we love Hashem, we love Hashem, because you don't love Hashem. You love yourself. And that's the vast majority of the world, and by vast majority, I mean probably 99.9999999999%. Because to do a mitzvah purely, because it's going to make Hashem happy, it's going to make Hashem content with you, you, my friend, are a different level, especially in this generation. Because it also means that you've gone to the highest level of Yirat Shamayim. You can't just skip everything and get to Avat Hashem. You have to start with Yirat Shamayim. You have to start with fear of Hashem first. Because without fear of Hashem, you're an animal. Where do we learn it from? Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu, Allah Shalom, he says in Parashat Vayra, when he gets to Avimelech Avimelech's army finds out that Sarai is hiding and she according to this Avram is a sister so it's oh it's beautiful wow great come introduce her to the king Avimelech most beautiful woman that ever lived she was shining from beauty you see a diamond shines? She was shining from beauty. Something like that we can't compare ourselves to. Why? Because the Gemara says we are closer to looking like monkeys than we are to Sarai Menu. But what's the number one compliment that Hashem gives her? She was modest. No one knew how beautiful she was other than Avraham Avinu. So now, you see, they're about to take his wife and then Hashem makes miracles, closes all the openings that Avimelech and his people have in their body, closes their eyes, closes their genitals, closes everything. And comes to him in a dream and says to him, Eshet Ish, I'm going to kill you. He says, no, I didn't know. He goes, I know you didn't know. I know you didn't know. That's why I didn't kill you yet. The man you're dealing with, he's a prophet. He talks to me. He's a holy man. Release his wife. So Avimelech, obviously upset, comes to Avraham and he says, why don't you tell me? If you told me you're a holy man, you told me you're a man of God, told me this is your wife, what's the problem? Go. Where do I need your wife? I can have any woman I want. Avraham Avinu says this, Avimelech says to Avram, what did you see 
that you did such a thing. Meaning, would you see my people and me? Why you? I was that wicked. I'm that a, that such a bad person. You have to bring this disease to my house. You're a man of God. You knew God was going to punish me. Why'd you do this to me? What'd you see? Well, how did you know I'm such a wicked person? Well, how did you know that I'm going to fall for it? How did you know? What What did we do? What gave us away? Abraham says, because I said there's no fear of God in this place and they will slay me because of my wife. He says, the people that you have working for you, they have no Yirat Shemaim. They don't fear God. They fear you. They fear you, the king. They just want to please you. So, if they want to please man, they have no consideration to Hashem Barach. They don't even think about God. Which means, first thing they want to do is make you happy. They saw a woman, said, oh, perfect for our king. Why? So you can pay us more money. Maybe he'll give us a raise. Maybe he'll give us a vacation. Every self-interest. And I knew that if I told them, this is my wife. I said, oh, listen, if she's married, even our king is not going to be with a married woman. So let's just kill this guy. And now she's single. If she's a sister, who cares? She's a sister, let's help him, you know, let's help him out, give him a few dollars, make him happy, convince him to give us his sister. Make it nice. Make it formal. He said, I saw they had no fear of God. And because they had no fear of God, they would kill me. Avraham Avinu teaches us something that's very, very important for each and every single one of us to know because it's not only relevant to the people of this parasha from over 4,000 years ago, it's still relevant to the body you live in today. The body you live in today still has that very same animalistic nature in it. The body you have in you still wants to act, to act based on instinct. Hungry, you want to eat. What do you want to eat? Sweets, salts, a bunch of things, usually things that are not healthy for you. The most delicious stuff in the world is usually not healthy. That's what your body wants. Aside from that, tell a guy, listen, get married. Get married, I'm only 42 years old. What are I'm still young. Why? Because he wants to have a new girlfriend. He wants to have a new wife every week. What is his body? He desires something new. Constantly. He thinks that anything that's more than a day old is old already. His whole body is working based off of instinct. He's no different than the lion. The lion is hungry, he goes hunting. If he's not hungry, he sleeps. The lion operates based purely off of instinct. And the same thing for every other animal. Humans, technically, are the only species in the world that kill for no reason. We're the only species that do it. A lion is never going to kill some deer just because he didn't like them. Ah, he's from that tribe, I don't like them. They're Ashkenazi, they're Sephardic, they're... Uh, Af- Drum Africa, they're South Africa or uh, North Africa. He doesn't think about that. He's hungry, goes hunts for the deer. Humans, on the other hand, unfortunately, we hunt for different reasons. Sometimes we hunt purely because we're angry. It's actually uh, 
Rabbi Yuda uh, Levi, I believe it was, or Levine, Yuda Levine, was a case of uh, maybe 30 years ago. He went and visited somebody in prison before he got death sentence. Why did he get a death sentence? This is a religious guy. Religious guy is getting death penalty. Why? On Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur. He killed his best friend. So he sees him. He wants to, you know, he's still a Jew. He's still son of the king of kings. And he sees that he's upset. He goes, well, you're, you're upset that uh, you're going to be killed? He goes, no, nah, listen, I'm upset that obviously I'm going to be killed, but I'm actually more upset because you probably think I'm crazy. You probably think I'm a very bad person. But I'm not. I'm not a bad person. Throughout all my life, I was very religious. Kept mitzvot. Went to pray. Went to shachrit, mincha, arvit. Okay, so what happened? What? Not only what happened. Okay, you killed somebody. You had to kill him on Yom Kippur. Out of all the days of the year, you picked Yom Kippur. Because you don't understand, for the Rav, you don't understand what happened. Yom Kippur, we had the break. We got into an argument. The argument got so heated, I, I lost control of myself. And I killed him. The rest of the year, I'm fine. But I finally learned what it means in the Gemara, when someone gets angry, all parts of Gehenom take control of him. The Gemara says that every time someone makes a mitzvah, he creates for himself an angel. An angel that gives him power to make another mitzvah. But every time he makes an avera, every time he makes a sin, he also creates a demon. A demon that tries to convince him to make another demon, to make another sin. That's why he say mitzvah, goreret mitzvah, avera, goreret avera. One mitzvah leads to another mitzvah, one sin leads to another sin. Because the more sins you make, the more demons you're creating, the more power they're going to have over the few angels you made. They take control. The uh, same rabbi, uh, Rav Porat, that made the lecture about um, uh, Hitler and the Holocaust, which is a very, very famous, very popular lecture. Baruch Hashem, it's a uh, very big reality check for anyone who doesn't know about the subject. Uh, he also made a lecture about uh, how Hitler, who was a complete loser his whole life, how he went from being a loser, bum, went to jail, never had a steady job, was Hamas, like a complete loser. How he became Fuhrer, how he became leader of a country, almost almost took over the entire world. And there's a book that was written by one of his friends, one of Hitler's friends. And uh, in the book he says that uh, Hitler always loved Kishuf, black magic. He always liked black magic his whole life. And the way Kishuf works, without going into too much details, is that in essence you are... You do bad things in order to create those demons on purpose. Because eventually you create enough of them, they take control over the situation. You could actually even become friends with them to such an extent that you become a demon. Uh, you become uh, a um, devil worshiper. 
So he says that Mamash uh, that Hitler got to such an extent that he sold his soul to the devil and the devil went, you know, for all the bad things he was doing his whole life and continuing to do, that the devil took control of him. Satan took control of him. This is very mystical stuff that some people like, don't like. Point being is, is that when someone is doing something horrible, something that's against the Shem, there's a consequence for it. It's not just the punishment they'll get one day when the, uh, they get to the uh, to Shemaim. It's also something that happens here. There's some type of impact it has on their neshama here. So, Rabbi Chaninaz Gana Kohanim is saying, when someone gets to such a point that they can't control their anger, even their best friend, they'll swallow him alive. Obviously, the enemy they want to get rid of anyway. They don't need to be angry to get rid of their enemy. He's talking about his best friend, just like this guy killed his friend on Yom Kippur. Rabbi Hanina is telling you the same thing. That's what you need to worry, not worry about killing your enemy, North Korea, Imachimam. You don't need to worry about killing Iran. You don't need to kill killing about ISIS or any of these other wicked people. You need to worry about how you deal with your best friend, how you deal with your wife, how you deal with your husband, how you deal with your kids. So what does this have to do with government? Government really is called Malchut. Malchut means kinghood. Kinghood is also another representation of Hashem Itbarach. When you love something, very rarely is it going to be such a love, such a huge amount of love. If it's, let's say, for example, loving a wife, loving your kids, loving a government, a politician of some kind it's still not going to stop you from doing something against them. You love your wife, but you're still going to yell at her once in a while if you get upset. You love your husband, you're still going to shout at him just because you got upset. You love your kids, but you're still going to yell at them because you're upset. You love your government, let's say you're a patriot, but you're still going to drive 30 miles over the speed limit if you have the opportunity. You're still going to overcharge if no one's going to notice. You're still going to do a bunch of things against them. Because that love by itself is not going to tame you. It's not going to stop you. Because at the end of the day, you have self-interest first. Self-preservation first. And when that self-preservation is out of control, when that self-interest is out of control, you become complete animal. So Rabbi Hanina is saying, the first and foremost, you have to understand before you start talking to me about Avat Hashem, let's start with Yirat Shemayim. Let's start with where you even stand with Yirat Shemayim. Are you even at a level where you fear punishment? Not even in this world. Because most people only they worry about in this world is usually after it happens. They worry about sick, somebody gets a cold, they think, oh, shalom, what do I have? What do I have? Someone has a pain on their side, oh, maybe I have this, maybe I have that, they start praying. Before that, they weren't praying. But as soon as there's a pain, there's a lump, there's a this, there's a that, everyone becomes a tzaddik. Before that, they were going on the beach on Shabbat. 
So usually in this world, as far as unless you're connected to Hashem Barach on a regular basis, you only start fearing things in this world after they happen. So let's not worry about this world yet. Let's talk about something far away. It's easy to believe in things that are far away. That's why people believe in like, for example, like this whole evolution theory. Even though by definition it's a theory, which means it's a guess, an educated guess. Nonetheless, people believe it like it's a, a word of God. They believe that dinosaurs were here 60 million years ago, 2 billion years ago. The world went to some type of explosion 13.4 billion years ago and expanded. And, da, 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 and They have all these stories. Why? Because it's far away. It's far. And over a long period of time and really, really far away, lots of things can happen. It's easy to believe something that, especially since it doesn't obligate me. Believing something happened 13 billion years ago doesn't do anything for me. I believe it. I don't believe it. I don't get beat up either way. Nothing happens. So it's easy. It's far away. So let's just start believing believing in something far away. Do you believe in the 13 principles of faith? The Rambam put together, these are 13 things that he said, if you don't believe them, you can't call yourself a Jew. If you want to convert, they won't convert you. Because you don't believe in the foundation of Judaism. These 13 things are the foundation. If there's any question on one of them, you cannot be Jewish. If you're already lucky enough to be a Jew, and you don't believe in them, then you, my friend, are possibly an apikos. Now, Rambam does us a very, very great justice and favor for us. He tells us what happens to these people. In chapter 10 of Sanhedrin, the Rambam says that karet, which is the worst punishment in the Torah, is the, worst, is the most severe punishment that the soul can receive. However, this is not to imply that this is the only punishment. So for example, when someone, Chazm Shalom, violates Shabbat, Yisur Karet, Someone violates Yom Kippur, Yisur Karet. Someone eats Chametz on Pesach, Yisur Karet. Certain things that are a big deal. He says these people, they have Yisur Karet, which in the days of the Sanhedrin, they killed them. Death penalty. But he says, let's not mistake this to be the only punishment, because it's not. First of all, we don't have the Sanhedrin anymore. There's no more death penalty. So the death penalty of today is heavenly according to the Gemara. But he says, even that, still not the only punishment. And you can't misunderstand this. In chapter 3, Allah 5, the Rambam explains, I'm not going to go into obviously details of what happens in these places, but this is something to explain to you. This is actually one of the 13 principles of faith. All the wicked whose sins are greater than their merits are judged according to their sins and will receive the appropriate retribution. But they're granted a portion of the world to come. Meaning, people that are wicked, they have more sins than they have merits. They're going to get punished, but they still have a share of the world to come. Devil Abba, the following individuals do not have a world to come. 
Rather, their souls are cut off and they're judged for their great wickedness and sins forever. Source for this is Gemara Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page 17. So for anyone, this is when I finished, for anyone who thinks that Genom, unfortunately today, there's certain people that call themselves rabbis or Tamidim Chachamim or whatever they call themselves these days, teach people that Genom and, 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 and the judgment after this life, at worst case scenario, is 12 months. Like you do something bad, you're Mechalet Shabbat your whole life, you're a homosexual, you're a murderer, you're a whatever, thief, whatever you are, maximum penalty, 12 months. And they say, yeah, and even that penalty is only 12 months. It's like a washing machine, though. You know, because Hashem is good, and He's merciful. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't want to hurt you. He loves you. All of that is true, except that it's not 12 months. So Rambam helps us out. And he says the following. This implies that in addition to being cut off from the world to come, in addition to not having a share of the world to come, they're actually also judged in Gehenom and receive an additional punishment there too. So now there are three categories of sinners. A. Those who commit minor sins. All of us. They suffer retribution in Gehenom for a maximum of 12 months and are granted a portion of the world to come. This is A. This is pretty much people that are relatively tzaddikim, people that in this generation are probably tzaddikim. Uh, you know, you make some minor sins, you didn't know it was Shabbat, you turn on the light, then you realize, oh, it's Shabbat. You know, you were like half asleep. It's still a sin. You ate something and then realize, oh, wait, it's not kosher. It's still a sin. Chogeg, but it's still a sin. Whatever, you made some sins. Says, okay, those, okay, they have to get punished, but it's maximum 12 months. That's the 12 months. That's for people that are overall righteous. Now, obviously, if you have more merits than you do have sins, you don't go to Gainom at all. This year, we're talking about people that don't have as much merits, people that are not doing anything good, they're just trying to survive, the robots of the world. Fine. B. Those who commit sins punishable by karit, meaning Mechalet Shabbat, meaning someone that goes with a married woman, homosexual, all those wonderful human beings. He says, they are punished by karit and are cut off and do not merit the life of the world to come. Meaning that they're in, a, in, a, in a Gemara in a Rosh Hashanah page 17 is defining those people as someone that is getting a punishment that's endless. And see the 13 categories that are mentioned in chapter 3 there are certain types of sinners that are even worse than that. Why are they worse than that? Because these people technically if you have a choice, you shouldn't even let them do tshuva. These are the people that possibly have a situation that's so bad that Hashem does not want their tshuva. Who are these people?
in chapter 3, Allah 6, it says exactly who they are. The Minim, the Apikosim, who deny the Torah. Anyone who denies the resurrection of the dead or the uh, Mashiach, anyone who denies says the Mashiach is not going to come. Anyone that rebels against God, anyone that causes other people to sin, anyone that separates themselves from the community, meaning when the community fasts, they have a community fast because there's some type of like uh, or decree from Shemaim, so they do a uh, community fast, the community is suffering, and he says, no, 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 you guys suffer, I'm not with you. Someone separates themselves from the Kila as if he's not part of Am Yisrael. Anyone that makes sins publicly and he's proud of it you know something like the uh, gay pride parade fits the description those who betray the Jews to the Gentile authorities this is like the Yavsekzia from the times of uh, before even World War II there was a wicked people in Russia that would actually bring the Jews Jews would bring Jews they were religious, including rabbis, as many rabbis, to the authorities so they could kill them. Or even uh, Jews that served in the uh, Nazi army and pretended they weren't Jewish. We had a whole lecture about this topic for anyone that wants more sources on that. Or those who cast fear upon people for reasons other than the service of God. Someone just wants to scare people to give them money, like for example, there's these babut, these fake Kabbalistic people. They're not Kabbalistic, they're not nothing. These people are shaim and shaim. And someone comes to them that's clueless, doesn't know anything about their life, doesn't know anything about Hashem. And they come to them and say, listen, I have this bad fortune over here, I lost my money, I lost my this, I lost my that. You know, people have problems in their life. And they come to a guy that looks holy, Especially those people. They have huge beards you can sweep the whole neighborhood with. Sometimes they have weird clothes on that looks like they just came from Mount Sinai. You know, they have like these huge books that have no titles on the desk. And you think, like, wow, this is like this book is from maybe Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it. You know, you're thinking this guy is like, one time, by the way, there's a story, real story in Israel. There was a famous Mekubal who they found as a fraud. How did they find out he's a fraud? Because some guy who was like a little nosy came to him and this guy's whole business was that he would sell him water. He would sell people water, these tiny little bottles of water, and he would call it holy water. You drink this water and it heals you. Obviously it's nonsense. But he'd sell each little tiny bottle for a thousand bucks. What would he do? He'd go to the faucet, fill it up, he'd give it to the guy. But the bottle looked fancy, looked schmancy, looked this, looked that, and people are stupid, so they pay a thousand bucks for it. They're desperate point is one of these guys wasn't really buying the whole thing he saw there's like a you know three big books on the table and this guy's wearing glasses and he looks scary and he's telling him listen if you drink this water you have the disease you have the guy didn't have anything he was just trying to see what's going on with this guy maybe get some panasa maybe this the guy's telling him he's got this he's got that he's scaring him to death to get him to buy this thousand dollars worth of water so 
Okay, okay, okay. Get me the water. You have water. You have water. The guy looked. He saw. I happen not to have. I'm gonna get you the water. I have some in the back. I keep them. In a very special place. Can't just keep them around. Okay, okay, okay. Fine, fine. Get the water. The guy goes in the back. In the meantime, the guy's sitting there a couple of minutes. Oh, he's just nosy. So he just decides to take one of the books and open it. One of these big black books. What does he see? Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. How much Mickey Mouse? That's what he said. He saw Mickey Mouse. He saw Mickey Mouse and like it was cartoons. It was a Disney book. The guy comes back and he has the whole book and the guy, as soon as he sees the book open, he knows he's been caught. It's like, you're not ashamed. You're not ashamed. You're not ashamed taking advantage of people, selling them this stupid water for a thousand dollars. You can't even have a real Torah book on your desk. No, oh, you don't understand. I don't even know how to read. He committed. The guy's an idiot, but he's fooling people. How's he fooling them? Scared them to death. There's another Rasha in Brooklyn, also like that. He's doing it for many years. There's many of these Rasha in Babut. They, go, they work in different places, these people. And uh, people come to them and they say, listen, I have this problem, I have that problem. He goes, yeah, of course you have that problem. Oh, I see, I see. You have a stain in your aura. You have a stain. Wow, it's a big blemish. Oh, you need a special tikkun. You need a special tikkun for your neshama. Okay, okay. The person doesn't even know what modesty is. Bechlalo Shabbat. Tikkun. Sounds scary. Yeah, you need a special tikkun. Okay, okay. How do I get this tikkun? Where do I buy it? No, no, I'll do it for you. I'll do it. It's a special prayer. Look, and he shows him a book that's full of Aramaic. No one knows how to read Aramaic unless you're a Talmud Chacham. Look, I have to read these prayers, all this whole book, and this, and we'll do special times, and he put the dude, and did, and he does all these things, and all these things that sound so far away from today's world. I'm going to do it, I'm going to fix your neshama, you have a blemish, I can see it, I can see it, you have, you're in very, you're in deep danger, someone poisoned you, someone gave you Ainara, someone is this, wait, and they make up all these stories and scare people to death. Until you ask him, okay, okay, what do I need to do? Oh, just uh, write, make the check payable to Baba Rasha, $15,000. Baba Rasha, $200,000. $300,000. A million dollars. Whatever you have, plus more. People sell their houses. Their houses. For these Rashaim. Why? Because they're scared to death. Because the guy tells him he has a problem in his neshama. The guy looks in the mirror, he's like, where is it? Where is this neshama? How do I fix it? Can I go to Macy's and fix it? Can I, can I, can, I, can my local rabbi fix it for cheaper? Guy is telling him all these stupid stories. Oh, you have to change your name. Why? I was born with my name. No, you have to add another name. Why are you adding another name? Even though there are some big real Mekubalim that say that there is something to the whole name thing. It's not every day somebody gets a second name or a third name or a fourth name. And by the way, if you have multiple names, you have to know there's a rule to the game. There's a rule to the whole name thing. Meaning that you, every time you tell people your name or they call you, they have to call you by your full name. Meaning if your original name was Daniel and you added, let's say, Gabriel, now your name is Gabriel Daniel. It's not just Gabriel. They have to call you Gabriel Daniel, whatever your last name is. So, before you take on a new name, know there's a responsibility. 
But aside from that, people get scared. I heard this Shem Rachem, this woman, she came to this Baba Rasha Merusha with a tank top and shorts. She doesn't keep anything, nothing, not kosher, not even the basic level minimum. She knows not, she's Israeli, but she's unfortunately one of the kibbutznikim that doesn't know anything about anything. But she heard, she has some problems in her life. She heard about, I don't know, some mystical guy. She went to him. And she, uh, he says to her, yeah, yeah, I can fix it. You have a problem, you have Aynara. You have Aynara on you. You have a friend. Yeah, I have a friend. And friend has long hair. Yeah, yeah, has long hair, long hair, that's the one. You know, they give you all these like vague things. That of course you're going to say yes, like these fortune tellers. Well, you had a bad day last week. Yeah, yeah, I did. How'd you know? Everybody has a bad day last week. You know anybody didn't have a bad day last week? You had a headache at some point? Yeah, of course. It was three weeks ago. How'd you know? You have a son. No, daughter. Because you see how your eyes... You have a daughter. Yeah. You see how your eyes move and your face move. It's also knowing how to read faces. And all the shame. And also, if you go against these people, they're also mobsters, by the way. So if you don't want to pay, they could ruin your life. Meaning, once you're already in their system, Allah Khalifa. Yeah, good luck with that. They're the mobsters. You're just an average guy trying to do tshuva. So these people are very dangerous people. So the Rambam says, those people, oh, they have a nice, nice villa. A permanent villa in Gainom that's never going to end. And he continues and he says all of these different types of people, people that waste seed, Shabbat, and so on, have this Gainom that never ends. So first and foremost, we need to understand that there is very much a place of suffering. And it's not theoretical, it's not a Christian belief, even though the Christian belief is similar, that there's some type of inferno, whatever, but for them, the inferno is for nothing. Like if you believe in J.C. Penny, you don't go there. You give all your money to the priest to buy a private jet, everything's good. So of course you're going to give the money, just so you don't have to, you don't have to do anything anyway, just give money. In Judaism, you obviously have a responsibility. Now, now some people say, no, 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 this is a different, you know, somebody tried to debate me this week, two weeks ago, whenever it was. No, I never heard of this. This is maybe your belief. So I had to give a bunch of different sources. Kamara, this, that. It's like, no, but they don't teach that in Hasidut. In Hasidut, they don't teach about punishment. This is completely false. Only the Hasidut of today, part of it, not all of it, obviously, because there is a very good part of Hasidut, but there's a tainted part. Like Abi Sa'id from Salan said already 150 years ago, some people tainted the religion. They tainted parts of it. They start adding and modifying and tweaking and taking things out. So, unfortunately, some have taken out the Irat Shamayim part. And also the Irat Shamayim has to do with 13 principles of faith. Why? What's 13 principles of faith? There's a reward for the righteous, a punishment for the wicked. But if you see the wicked driving a Ferrari on Shabbat, to his $5 million house, where's the punishment? Obviously, it's not in this world. So if you don't believe that there is a punishment in the next world, or you believe that the punishment in the next world is limited, whether you're a murderer, or you're Bernie Madoff, or you're a, some, uh, you know, some guy that's going against Hashem, has websites against rabbis, 
you all have the same punishment, might as well be a rasha. Everybody gets a 12-month sentence, and it's a laundry. Might as well be a rasha. What are you doing? What are you keeping me trust for? So he said, no, no, this is not part of Hasidut. This is a complete lie. Proof? Right here. Sefer Hasidim, Hasidim, Margaliot, Siman, Kuf, Mem, Hey. 145. Says, Elu. שמטילים אמה על הציבור שלא לשם שמיים יורדים לבאר שחת ואינם יוצאים משם לעולם גיהנום חלה והם אינם חלם שנאמר תהילים 4915 Okay, translation. This, this Sefer Hasidim was written by Rabbi Yehuda Bar Shmuel Hasid, Mishapira, who was Gdor Ador. So it's not some local tiny rabbi nobody ever heard of. Gdor Ador, who came from the Gdor Ador, who came from the family of all the biggest of the generation. One of the biggest impacts of Hasidut in history came from this Shoshelet, this uh, family. And he writes in his book, those who teach the public not for the purpose of Shemaim, for their own self-interest, they try to scare people so they give them the money. They try to tell people, they sell people stories just so they like them. You know, like some people say, no, Hashem loves you, Hashem loves you, just make sure you make the check payable to Rasha.com. Hashem loves you. Yeah, but I'm Mechala Shabbat. No, don't worry about it. Rasha.com. No, but I, uh, but I eat Chazir on, on Yom Kippur. Don't worry about it. Just Rasha.com. Don't forget the dot. Dot com. I tell them whatever they want, they're going to tell them. Why? Just give me money. Give me money. All these rabbis, they come from Israel, they come from here, they come from Gainom, they come from everywhere. And tell him, whatever you want to hear, I'll tell you. I even have one Rasha, Rasha Merusha. He comes in a lecture, and he says, you know, he talks about me. He doesn't say my name, but I know he's talking about me. Because I debated him and I abused him in a debate. He talks about me and he says, you know, so there's somebody out there, and he even reads verses in a Torah. He reads verses in a Torah to scare people. But that's not being a rabbi. That's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. You gotta tell people what they can handle. If I tell you the verses, you can't handle the verses. The Torah is too much for you. What Hashem wants you to do is develop your own relationship with Him the way you want. Hashem and Hashem, that's Christianity. You're a fager, you idiot. You're picolus. That's Christianity. That's not Judaism. What do you mean that you can't handle the Torah? So what are you saying? Hashem made a mistake. He wrote a book that nobody can handle. What did he write the book for? If he wanted it in a, in a secret, he put it in a secret part of the Torah. What did he write it in five books of Moses that's available to 70 nations? What did he write it for? So, people are gonna willing to say anything for money. So, Sefer Hasidim, the Hasid, the original Hasidim is saying this. Those people... They go down to Gehenom and they never come out. 
They never come out le'olam. Le'olam means forever. And he quotes Tehilim. He quotes Psalm 49, 15. Their form is doomed to rot in Sheol. David HaMelech says, those such people, the search people are so wicked, that they're doomed, that their neshama, their form, will rot in Sheol. Sheol is another word for Gehenom. Why is they rot? Why is they they're they're just going to go to Sheol? Because when something rots, that means it's been there for a long time. It's been, it takes a long time. He says their 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 neshama will rot. They will be there forever. To such an extent, like the Gemara says, that even when when the world ends and the rest of Gehenom, the other six chambers of Gehenom, get shut down, their section doesn't get shut down. Why? Because what they did by teaching people falsehood, by telling them they're all tzaddikim, they're all nevonim, everyone's great, you don't have to do tshuva, just give money, just give money, just give money. What do they do? Everyone's lost because of them. Meaning they stole souls from Hashem. All of these wonderful, amazing children that Hashem is, wants to come back. Beautiful neshamot he created for what? He created for them to, to be connected to Him. What did this guy say? Hey, no, you don't have to be connected to him. You connect him by giving me money. Because I have long payers. Or I have a long beard. Or I have a big hat. Or I have a strange clothing. What? Who says this nonsense? The original Hasidim says, no, no, no. There's a special tikkun for them. The tikkun for them is in Gainum forever. That's the tikkun. So this is very much a part of Hasidut. It's not something that was created by somebody else. So now... The first and for- most important thing is for someone to understand is that the f- basic level of connection to Hashem must be founded off of Yirat Shemayim. Fear of punishment. Now, ask yourself, are you scared of this punishment? Because now we just confirmed it's real. Meaning it's not my opinion. It's not Rav Mizrahi's opinion. It's not Rabbi Yisrael Misalan's opinion. It's not the uh, Hasid's opinion. It's everyone's opinion. It's Hashem's opinion. It exists. The Gemara specifically says there's an exact measurement of how big uh, how big Gan Eden is, but there's no exact measure of how big Gehenom is. Why? Because more people keep coming in. So it exists. So now that we know this far, far away place is very much real, are you scared? Is it put a little bit of tingle in your heart right now? It's like I don't want to go there. I don't even know what happens there. Just the word Gehenom is scary. We haven't gotten into what happens there. We're not going to get into what happens there. But the point is, it's everyone knows it's not good. It's not Taj Mahal. You're not playing cards with your friends. You're not eating ice cream. You're not having a good time over there. So, does that make you scared? If it doesn't make you scared, you probably have to go to a mental institution. I can't help you. But if it does make you scared, okay, Baruch Hashem, you have basic level Yerat Shemayim. Basic level Yerat Shemayim. Now, to see how important this very basic, basic, basic level Yerat Shemayim, this is the lowest level of Yerat Shemayim. How necessary it is, because people say, no, you only... Do what you do. You only worship Hashem because you're scared. That's not the way to do it. We want to do it out of love. 
why do this? Everybody, you know, they frown upon fear of Hashem. Even though Shlomo Melech, the wisest man of all time, said, Reshit Yirat Hashem. The beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. Smartest man of all time said it. But no, 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 no. They frown upon fear of Hashem. Okay. So let's see. Gemara Masechet Brachot. Page 28b. Rabban Yochanan. One of the biggest giants that ever lived. Was able to revive the dead. Was one of the Talmidim of Hillel Zakin. Someone that we cannot even compare to a shoe. Let alone to him. The Gemara says the following. When Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai took ill, meaning he was on his deathbed, his students entered to visit him. All of his students came, surrounded him, they want to be next to their Rabbi. And they, st- they saw him weep, they started seeing him cry. And his students said to him, Light of Israel, rightmost pillar, mighty hammer, why do you weep? Tzaddik, you learned Torah your whole life. You're Hashem's pillar in this world. You made everybody do tshuva, learn Torah, zikuya rabim. Every mitzvah in the world you did. What are you crying about? You're going to meet your maker. You probably should be excited. All you did your whole life is getting prepared for today. If someone is really connecting to Hashem, they're not scared of death. They're looking forward to it. Why? Finally, I'm going to get paid. I've been working my whole life. Finally, I'm going to get paid. I did all these mitzvot. I'm going to get eaten, right? If you knew for sure, listen, I did every mitzvah in the book. 613, I did 614. Machmir. Modest, I covered my face, like the Arabs. Tefillin, I had three of them. <laughs> On three different sides, just in case. Rabbeinu Tam, Rabbeinu Rashi, and somebody else, just in case. You did every tefillah. You did korbanot. Everything you did. Going to Gan Eden. Were well, you not looking forward to it? Rabban Yochanan tells us something scary. If you actually understand what he says here. And he says to them the following. If they were leading me to judgment before a king of flesh and blood. Obama, Osama, Bin Laden, a, uh, Trump, whoever. Somebody flesh and blood who is here today and in a grave tomorrow himself. He's not going to be here forever. If he's Osama or he's Obama or he's anybody, he's going to die. Eventually he's going to go to the same grave like me. Where if he becomes angry with me, this temporary king becomes angry with me, it's not an everlasting anger. Because even if he's angry at me his whole life, once he dies, that's it, he's over. The anger is gone. And if he imprisons me, sends me to jail, even the prison sentence is not forever. Why? Because I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the next world. My life is not over here. This is just a corridor of the real life. Where do you live here? Seven years, 80 years, 120 years, whatever it is. It's the beginning. Life for your soul is forever. Seven years is like a chump change. So even a prison sentence, he sends me to prison 50 years, my whole life. Okay, it's life here. The real life is next. Who cares? And if he puts me to death, 
The death that he puts me in is not everlasting. Okay, I die once and then I have a lava again. What do I care? I die here. But then I go into the real world, real life. That's what a real king can do to me. Why should I be scared of that, he says. This such king of flesh and blood, I'm also able to appease him with my words. I convince him I'm a sweet talker. I tell him, listen, let me tell you a joke. You're on your deathbed right now. I'll tell you a joke. No, come on. It's... Forget about the death sentence you gave me. I'll tell you a joke. You made the guy laugh, the guy changed his opinion. Tell him, hey, don't you know Joey? Yeah, yeah. You lived in Brooklyn too? Yeah. Oh, Take him out. Take him off the hanger. Take him off the hanger. He's my boy. Sweet talk the guy. Listen, I got a quick stock pick for you. Well, how do you know? Listen, I got insider information. Okay, okay. Take him off. Take him off. No. Release him from jail. You ever notice that right before a president leaves office, a bunch of criminals get released from prison? You ever notice that? Good, you don't watch the news. Every time a president's about to leave office, a bunch of criminals leave the prison. They're all of a sudden, they're forgiven. The guy murdered. The guy stole sold drugs. The guy's a this, that. No, no, no. He's uh, It's on me. Why don't you do it in the beginning of the office? No, in the beginning, if I did it in the beginning of my term, they would torture me in my whole term. I did it at the end. Like uh, Obama gave $210 million to the Palestinians a couple of days before he left office. Machimo. So, uh, good. He says, this leader, I can appease him with my words. I could bribe him with money. Who doesn't like money in this world? Who doesn't like money? So I'll give him some money. 100 million, 200 million. If I got money, I could buy whatever I want. In the business world, they say everyone's got a price. Everyone's got a price. No, I love my company. Okay, so how much does that love cost? No, I love my wife. Okay, so how much does that wife cost? Oh, I love this. I love everything as a price. For people that are completely materialistic, everything has a price. Everything has a price. Sad, but true. And he, and he says, and even if I was going to meet such a weak king that's here today, gone tomorrow, that I could easily manipulate him, easily convince him, easily bribe him, I'd still be a little scared. Because maybe he doesn't like me, maybe he doesn't agree. I'd still be scared, I'd still weep a little bit. Even more so than now you're leading me before the king of kings. The one who reigns all over all the other kings, the Holy One, blessed is he who lives and endures forever and ever. Where if he becomes angry at me, his anger is an everlasting anger. If I'm one of these people that's a makhtiya rabim, I make other people sin, I own one of these nightclubs, I have one of these prostitution houses, I do all types of things that cause other people to sin. I'm an immodest woman walking around. The anger that he has on me is an everlasting anger. It's not temporary anger and he just lets it go. And if he imprisons me, the imprisonment is everlasting imprisonment. It's forever. Shabbat, I go to Gainom, I don't leave. And if it puts me to death, the death is an everlasting death, meaning I don't get any other chances. You have to have schut. 
You have to have merit to have a Gilgul, to have a reincarnation. And even that, you're limited to three. Three Gilgulim as a human being. And after three, you go down a level of Shemechem to an animal or a plant or Shemechem even a rock. And this king, I'm unable to appease him with words. Not only that, but there lie before me two paths. One of Gan Eden and one of Genom. And I know not which one they would lead me. So why shouldn't I weep? So Rabban Yochanan, one of the greatest human beings, most righteous people that ever lived in history, says, okay, everything I did, the mitzvot, the Torah, and everything else, I was obligated to do it anyway. You don't get a bonus for showing up to work on time. It's like asking Hashem to give you a merit and give you a Gan Eden because you were breathing. You have to breathe. You don't get a raise because you came to work on time all year. At least not in a normal company. That's what you're supposed to do. I remember these employees would come to me and say, oh, I came on time. And, you want a cookie? What exactly do you want that you came on time? The good news is you're not fired because you came on time. That's an award. Like people expect something for nothing. For things that are expected. No, but I respect you. Okay, so what would you like me to like advocate you disrespecting me? Like people think like, oh no, just because I respect my parents... They should fulfill every wish I have. I have this one guy, Miskin. This guy is like angry at his parents. Why is he angry at his parents? Because they won't buy him a car. But angry, not angry like, oh, I'm upset. Okay, whatever. I got to go back to life. No, no. This has been months in the making already. I've been dealing with this kid. And he says, he expresses how much he hates his parents to me. Like, mamas, like a passionate hate that he has for his parents. Why? Because they didn't buy the car. Maybe they don't have the money. Maybe they don't think you're responsible enough to buy to get you a car. Maybe whatever. You hate your parents because they don't buy you a car? Something wrong with you? But this is what we're dealing with. The entitled generation that we live in, like, we're so fast to expect the world to dance to our tune that as soon as someone is not willing to dance, like, we hate them, we're, it's over. Sometimes I have people, it's like, hey, listen, I already did tshuva, and you know, Shem didn't heal me yet, I still have cancer, I still have skin disease, I still have money problems, my wife still hates me, my kid's still failing. Okay, you did tshuva last week, buddy, relax. It's one week, Hashem waited 37 years. You want to wait for one week? You did tshuva a month ago, he waited 37 years, you want to, do tshuva, you keep Shabbat for a month and a half, two months, six months, after you violated it for 30 years, and all oh, Hashem has to dance to your tune. He has to give you everything, fulfill all your, all your wishes, because you keep Shabbat for a few months. Okay, relax. Eventually, your will will really become His will, and your it'll happen. But Hashem is not working for you. I had somebody say the other just today or yesterday. Oh, you know, ever since I did tshuva a few months ago, 
nothing's really been happening, and I'm about to give up. I don't know, maybe Hashem is not listening. Like she's threatening Hashem in public. And on Facebook, she put this thing on the Facebook, saying that she has a hard time, she's going through some type of hard time, and she's about to give up on Hashem. Like, she's telling everybody, you better let Hashem know. I'm about to leave. I'm about to walk out on him. You believe in the wrong Hashem. Because my Hashem, he doesn't dance to your tune. And if he did, he wouldn't be Hashem. People have this warped mentality of what God is. They're scared of the police officer, but God has to dance to their tune. So Rabban Yochanan, let's get a mitzvot. Rabban Yochanan was a was a uh, extraordinarily righteous person, and he says he's petrified. This is the lowest level of fear, and he's telling you this is the one that I have. Obviously, he had much higher. He had love of Hashem and so on. But here he's expressing still, just because you have Abat Hashem, or you have a high level of Yilat Hashem, doesn't mean you still don't have the first one. It means you have all of them. You don't just go from level 1 to level 10, and then everything before is gone. I mean, when you're at level 10, you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You have all of them. You don't have just Abat Hashem. You also have Yilat Shemayim. You don't just skip. Oh, all of a sudden, because you love Hashem, you're always dancing. Oh, Hashem. No, 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 my friend. You have Yirat Shemayim also. So he's telling you, this lowest level is the highest level for us. Why? He goes, I don't know. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I made one of these Averod not knowingly, and I lost my share of the world to come. They're about to show me two choices, Gan Eden, Genom. And the Genom part could be forever. Just the possibility of it. Maybe it's unlikely, maybe it's likely. That's your opinion, your flesh and blood. Who cares about what you say? The king of kings said, it's a possibility. And for that, my friends, I'm scared. That's the lowest level. And if you have that lowest level, Shlomo HaMelech says, Ashrecha. You're praiseworthy. You're something. You're somebody special. You are something special if you have this lowest level. They wrote this Gemara about Rabban Yochanan for you. This low level. Most people today don't have the low level. Number one, they don't believe in Gainom because there's unfortunately a lot of false teaching. Number two, Gainom is so far away people don't even think about it. Number three, people learn so much about Gan Eden that they forget that Gainom even exists. Number four, everyone thinks they're much more righteous than they really are. Everyone thinks they're Rabban Yochanan, Ben Zakai, and Rabbi Akiva together. Guy learns Torah once a week, he's minimum Moshe Rabbeinu. Woman puts Kisui Rosh, minimum Sarai Menu, minimum. Someone sent me a uh, video of this woman, apparently, I think she, oh, she's trying to do Tshuva, she has an inspiring story, I didn't hear the story, and the reason why, I couldn't watch it. Two reasons I couldn't watch it. Number one, I thought originally it was four minutes, so I was willing to commit four minutes to this thing, but I found that it was almost two hours, so I don't have that kind of time. 
But the reason why I shut it off, and I didn't even watch four minutes, is because as soon as I put it on, I saw a woman with a long blonde wig. You want pure eyes? You can't look at stuff like that. Even looking at it, you're not allowed to. Forget about thinking, not thinking. Forget about Imada's clothes. Forget about it. I'm not even talking about any of that obvious stuff. Even someone that has that kind of a look, you can't even look at. And women today call themselves religious with three foot long wigs. Thinking, oh, I'm Rabbanit. What Rabbanit? What Rabbanit? You know what kind of problems you're in right now with your long wig? You know what the Baba Sali says about people with such a long wig? You know what the Rambam, what the, uh, not Rambam, but the Ovadia. Um, People don't have a clue. So the students, to finish the story, the students of Rabban Yochanan are asking them, okay, Kvod teach us something, tell us something before you go. Give us a blessing. And he says, May it be the will of Hashem that the fear of, that the fear of heaven be upon you just like the fear of flesh and blood that you have. Meaning, may you fear Hashem as much as you fear the local cup, the Roman king, the Greek soldier, your neighbor looking at you the wrong way. May you fear Hashem as much as you fear a human being. Doesn't sound right. His students said to him, Adkan, that's for okay, okay, Kodarav, now we don't understand what you're talking about. The fact that you say that you're scared of, uh, you know, of uh, Galen and Genom, that's, if you're scared of Genom, where are we? But now you're saying something that's completely off, like, what do you mean? Be scared of people, meaning, we should be scared of Hashem. He says, no. If your fear of Hashem was really like the fear you have of people, then you wouldn't make any sense. Because any time you do something against another person, immediately you look. You drive, lecture, one, two o'clock in the morning, we finish, we're driving 90 miles an hour. But if a cop doot, comes out, oh, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you stop, you put the seatbelt on, the other seatbelt on, you're all over the place, you have no idea what's going to happen, he's going to take my license, he's this, you think, oh, it's going to be so, I want to afford a lawyer, I don't have money for a lawyer, and you're thinking the whole thing of what's going to happen, what, you're petrified of this cop. But what about the last time you wasted seed, the mezid? What about the last time you stole some money? Accidentally on purpose. What about the last time you walked around walking Chilul Hashem? What about that time? How come you weren't scared? You're watching. One time someone took a sled from Salant on a carriage, supposed to take him somewhere, and he saw that the rider, the driver, stopped at some farm and started taking some stuff from the ground. Like the belonging to somebody that owned the property. Took some, I don't know, food or whatever it was. 
Immediately, Rabbi Salam starts screaming, They're watching, they're watching, they're watching! They see you, they see you! The guy immediately dropped everything, ran into the thing, jumped, go, 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 go! He starts hitting the, the horses, go, go! He's going 150 miles an hour with his little horses. Eventually, an hour and a half later, he's out of the city. He catches his breath, he goes, Thanks, Rabbi, who, who, how many people are watching? He goes, no, no, no people are watching. What? What do you mean no people are watching? So why do you say they're watching? He said, his eyes are watching. He sees you. So Rabban Yochanan is telling us, telling his students, all tzaddikim, saying, if you are scared of Hashem, like you're scared of the cop, like you're scared of the neighbor, like you're scared of the shiduch, like you're scared of the public, you wouldn't make any sins. Any sins you make, usually you make against other people, you do it in private. You steal, but private. You don't steal in the open. You make your sex crimes in private. You don't do it publicly. Why? Because you're scared of what people think. You don't care about what Hashem thinks. So that's why I wish that you'd be scared of Hashem like you're scared of them. Because then you stop sinning. Then you become a serious, serious tzaddik or tzaddikah. At the moment of his passing... He says to his students, remove the utensils because they'll have Tum'ah and please prepare a seat for Hizkiyahu, the king of Judah, who's come to escort me. So the Gemara here says that Hizkiyahu HaMelech, Hizkiyahu the king, came to escort Rabban Yochanan to Olam Abba. Who is Hizkiyahu HaMelech? Gemara Masechet Bavab Kama, page 17a. It says when King Chizkiyahu died, he was honored in a way that no other person was ever honored. How? They buried him with a Sefer Torah. Now, generally, you're not allowed to do this. But with him, they did it. Why? Because everyone of that generation signed off him and the Sefer Torah same thing. Same thing. Same thing. That's what we're signing off here. King Chizkiyahu, Sefer Torah, same thing. So now King Chizkiyahu came to bring Rabban Yochanan, so we know, even though the reason he went to Gan Eden is because of his fear of Gehenom, the reality of it is that he didn't even see a second of it. So now, the most important thing that we need to understand is that this fear is a necessary fear. If we applied it in our life, it'd make us better human beings, it'd better make us better servants of Hashem, it'd also make us better in what we do for a living. Chazal says that you're not allowed to deal with people that don't have Yerat Shemaim. You should be scared, just like Avraham Avinu taught us. The fact that someone doesn't have Yerat Shemaim, he says, automatically makes me think that at the first opportunity he has, he'll kill me. Chazal says you shouldn't be inside a room, a room by yourself, with someone who doesn't have Yerat Shemaim. We're not talking about someone as I Kofir, 
someone that's a murderer, someone that's an idol worshiper. No, we're not talking about that. Said inside a room, a room by yourself, don't be with someone that doesn't have Yerat Shemayim. Why? Maybe he'll kill you. Why is he going to kill you? Who knows? Look, Abraham Avinu said it. He doesn't know these soldiers. He said, they don't have Yerat Shemayim, they're going to kill me. They're going to find a reason. Why? Because they, if you don't have Yerat Shemayim, who are you scared of? If you're not scared of heaven, who are you scared of? You're not scared of Hashem, who are you scared of then? And this affects us in the business world. If you look in the business world today, the overwhelming majority of professions today have people in a position where the way to succeed is by taking advantage of the public. I remember when I had many, many employees and you get to meet people and see them and you see, you know, everybody's fighting to make a dollar and you see certain people have certain character traits that are mamash animals like the guy is willing to kill the guy next to him if it was legal only reason he doesn't kill the guy that just made the sale is because he knows he has to go to jail not because he doesn't want to kill him he wants to kill him, mamash he closed an account, he didn't. He's like, he's so jealous, he's eating his heart so much, he mamash wants to kill the guy. There are certain people in the business world that are, they believe that the only way to succeed is by stepping over everyone on their way. Burning every bridge just to make sure no one else catches up to me. And the way they conduct themselves in business, you can see who has Yirat Shemaim and who doesn't. You can name any profession, and I can tell you how they screw people. If they don't have Yilat Shemaim, it's 100% of the time. If they don't have fear of Hashem, any profession you want, I can tell you how they take advantage of people. Number one, I've seen it. Aside from investing and you know having employees and investing, I analyze companies for a living. I saw all professions. Two, I use many of them, whether it's real estate brokers, doctors, lawyers, accountants, whoever. I use a lot of different professions. Someone that has experience, Baruch Hashem, it's a good teacher. But it also gave me a very, very critical view of the world. I remember, Baruch Hashem, before I did Tshuva, I used to watch TV. And... My least favorite show that for some stupid reason I would still watch once in a while was this uh, show about real estate brokers selling real estate. Like million dollar properties or something like that. Like every property was worth a lot of money and they would sell this and you know they would film these real, you know these people selling properties. Now I don't know if I'm the only one that got this but in general I don't know those people on TV for sure but in general, from my experience, real estate brokers are the worst salesmen, most useless salespeople on planet Earth. And the reason why is you actually just watch the show and you can see it. When you want to sell something, what's what's generally what you want? You want a salesperson. You want to sell something. What's the goal? The goal is to attain the desirable price. You have, you want a million dollars. The point is for someone to try to get a million dollars for you. 
Selling, you can do by yourself. You sell the guy, listen, just put a, you know, ad in the paper, selling for a million dollars. Whenever someone comes, someone comes. But obviously, it's not easy. So if you want to just sell it, you say, okay, $5. It's worth a million dollars, $5. Buy it, and you'll have 500 people lining up. So the point of using someone that's so-called professional is so that they provide something that you can't do yourself. But you watch these people. I've seen it from experience, and I've saw it in that show. Someone would tell them, listen, yeah, I want to sell the property. It didn't matter ever how much the price was, a million dollars, five million dollars, five hundred thousand dollars. It didn't matter. The first response every single one of the brokers ever had, ah, I think it's a little too high. I think we should sell it for a little less. Every single time. Mamash, same instruction set. All of them went to the same school. All of them say the same exact thing. And it happens in the real world too. The guy wants to get... 500,000 for this? Nah, I think you should sell for 425. 425, $75,000. You know how long it takes to make $75,000 in a normal job? Yeah, but you're not going to sell 500,000. It's going to be months before we sell. Okay, so it takes months. No. Oh, maybe the market's going to go down. Maybe this, maybe that. They start scaring the guy and selling now. But why does he want to sell it for less? He makes less commission. What's the incentive? If I sell it below market, if I sell it for less than what it's really worth, it's going to happen in a week. If I sell it for the price that I'm really supposed to sell it as an expert, it'll take me months. Especially if I have zero skills and I'm a horrible salesperson. And that's really what most of these people are. They're horrible salespeople. They don't know how to sell anything. They just know how to advertise something, put it on the internet, put it on something, and tell people, no, this property is worth a million dollars, we're selling for eight twenty-five. doesn't require any skills. Oh, and come to my open house for free food. So they're, they're party organizers. Same thing happens in the rental market. The guy says, listen, I want to get 3,000. Ooh, 3,000. Ah, it's too high. What too high? You don't even, you, you analyze the market by the time you got it, you just found out. How do you know it's too high? No, you know, I have experience. You're in the business for six months. How do you know it's too high? Because the same manual. All of them have the same book. Whatever price he tells you, slash it. 20%, 25%, 30%. Why? Because he probably wants, he probably did his research and he knows what it's really worth. But you can't sell it for what it's worth because no one's going to buy it right away for what it's worth. People want a discount. The broker wants to make commission. What do you want to wait six months for your commission? No, I'd rather get 100% of something today than 50% of something potential higher down the road. I want to get something today and that's what happens. They flip property, they flip property, they flip property and they do it really, really quickly. That's one. That's why also a lot of these real estate brokers end up living in some of their, uh, like they, for example, if they take, in New York, I know it happens. They, uh, one of the selling points is that they live in a property where they're selling new, new uh, apartments in. But the interesting part is, that they, oh no, I live here, I live here, I live here. You know, I, I, I love this property, I love this property. Okay, so why are you helping everybody sell too? You help them buy, you help them sell. If you love it so much, why don't you tell everybody just buy? Why are you recommending for anyone to sell? You're on both sides of the transaction. So this is one way that, you know, in the real estate world, it's obviously there, uh, you know, if, if you are savvy, don't let them run your world. Second, stocks, the stock market and the investment market. I mean, this is not uh, as popular as it used to be, but the business used to be transactional, which means that every time you do a transaction, the broker would charge a commission. So what would most brokers do? They would 
recommend for the investor to do as many transactions as possible. Even though it's illegal, it's called churning, they'd still find a way to do it and to churn the account, to constantly make transactions. Why? Because every time they do a transaction, they make money. Even though if you look at any major investor that's really successful, whether it's Warren Buffett or uh, Carl Icahn or any of these real people that actually made real money in the stock market, they don't trade. They don't do a lot of transactions. They buy something, they hold it for years. So in essence, you're going against the grain. You're going against the better knowledge, the experience, the success. Why? Because you're selfish. Because you want to do transactions. So that's, uh, that's that. Also in the uh, fee-based business that they have, where right now they change the business model to some extent, where part of the uh, business, they get like an annual fee. Instead of transactions, they get an annual fee for whatever money you have. But still, this is another way, another trick that they have that they found, which in essence is to take part of the money and to make that part of the money transactional. They'll sell them an annuity or some type of an insurance product or something that is transactional, that they make big money on, while they get the other uh, money to make their regular money, or they just put the money that people give them, millions of dollars, on autopilot. Meaning, all they do is just recruit people to invest money with them, but they don't actually manage the money. So the money manager doesn't actually manage any money. He outsources it to somebody else, but he still gets all, a whole fee. So again, this is uh, the way it works. In the insurance world, every insurance broker loves insurance even though sometimes they themselves can't afford it. And they'll always tell you to buy a lot more than what you need. You're worth a million? Buy $5 million policy. You, uh, you know, you uh, have a uh, business? Buy disability. Buy this, buy that. They're always going to sell you more and more insurance than you have. Or these scammers also started a new part of the business called life settlements, which pretty much is a way for people to bet on other people dying. So there's a way that you could get, you could buy policies of old people, you buy their policies, so you're going to pay the premium every year, and when they die, you collect the death premium. So in essence, the whole time you're cheering for these people to die, which is a very morbid business, it's actually also illegal. The, uh, the insurance companies don't want to pay because in the insurance world, not that I'm here to teach you guys, you know, uh, business class, but it's just good to know, you have to have a vested interest in owning a policy, meaning you have to have a vested interest in the guy that actually owns the policy, has the policy for him to live. You're not supposed to cheer for him to die. So it's also against Allah. Lawyers. Lawyers, I've never met a lawyer that is a good lawyer. And I've, I've paid them anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to over a thousand dollars an hour. They're all garbage. Every one of them. Every single one of them. Even if they have a keep on their head. They're all garbage. Why? Because all they're going to do is they're going to try to overdo. So you have the real estate guys are underselling. The stock guys are overselling. The insurance guys are causing you to overbuy. The lawyers are causing you to overdo. Meaning... You have a case, you have a simple case, they want to write you a 35-page response. Why? Just write two pages, it's enough. You don't need this foreign language that they use. Just write, the guy is a criminal, he did this, he did this. Ten bullets, that's it, you finish. What do you need to write a 35-page answer for? Why? Because I get paid three, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars for every uh, hour. So the longer I work, the more I can charge. I had one time, this lawyer was on my payroll pretty much. 
And, uh, you know, you talk to people, even though you're paying them $50,000 a month, whatever, you're, you talk to them. Talk to them. You BS. So one time, I don't know, I'm talking to this lawyer, I asked a question, and uh, the question took maybe five minutes. Five minutes. But then, I don't know, we just started talking about something personal, nonsense. We spoke for almost an hour. We spoke for almost an hour, but it's personal. It's not business. I get a bill that she charged me for the hour. She charged me $900 for the hour. That's why she was excited to be on the phone talking about absolutely nothing. She getting paid for it. That's lawyers. Doctors. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, doctors. Doctors of today are very different than doctors of yesterday. Doctors of today are not really that interested for the most part. Again, this is not a one-size-fits-all. This is not everyone. Obviously, there's always going to be someone that's outside of the cloud, outside of the circumstance. There's always going to be a good lawyer. There's always going to be a good doctor. There's always going to be a good broker or a good real estate guy. There's always going to be someone good. But the overall majority, khata. Doctor, today's doctors, unfortunately, are a factory. In the past, doctors would come to your house. They would sit with you for an hour, two hours, three hours until they know what's going on. They'd commiserate with you. They'd cry with you. They'd give you medicine. They'd see what happens. Today, it's a factory. If you actually spend as much time with the doctor as you do waiting for the doctor, it's already a miracle. You go to the doctor, you wait 45 minutes. By the time you see the doctor, maximum five minutes. Why? Because he's busy. Because every patient's 500 bucks. Every patient, 600 bucks, 700 dollars, 1,000 dollars. So he's thinking, let me have six rooms every hour, six grand. And that's how it works. And also, and he knows, why does he do it that way? Because he knows that the insurance company is looking for different excuses not to pay him. The insurance world is demented. All parties are trying to screw each other. The insurance company is looking for reasons not to pay. The doctor is going to overcharge because he knows that they're not going to pay. And the patient only wants to buy insurance after he's sick. And the guy that bought the life insurance, it's not even his, it's some other guy. He doesn't even know, he's just waiting for him to die. This is, this is really what, I'm not, this is not just a, some uh, warped version of, this is reality. This is reality. So the doctor knows that he's going to bill 6000 but the insurance company is definitely not paying him at least 50%. At least 60%. So really, he's not looking at his 6000 he's looking at it at 2400 So he's like, ah, for me to make 2400 an hour is already disrespect. So he can't spend more than 5-10 minutes with you. Hey, take antibiotic. Well, I just said I had a cough. Take antibiotic. Go, go, no, go, go, right it. Give them your problem. Give CVS, give them the problem. I, yeah, but how do you know this antibiotic is going to work? We don't know it's going to work. Try it for 10 days. And if it doesn't work after 10 days, come back. But if you knew it's going to work, why do you have to tell me to come back? By the way, rule of thumb from experience, if the antibiotic is not effective after 48 hours, it's the wrong antibiotic. A good antibiotic should affect, not heal you, but affect your body within 48 hours. If it does not affect your body in any way, shape, or form within 48 hours, it is the wrong antibiotic. And generally, antibiotics are subscribed based on guessing. They're guessing just like you're guessing. There are certain things that are rules of thumb that a certain antibiotic is good for certain things, but they don't know if that specific one 
is going to be accepted by your body. They're guessing as much as you're guessing. It's all trial and error. So doctor is going to try to get you out of the office. But also, there's another thing that Gemara says about a doctor, that the best of the doctors will go to Gainal. So why would the best of doctors go to Gainal if he's healing people? No, not be, oh, it could be a pshat that, that, that you could mean that he thinks he's healing them. But no, the best of doctors is going to Gehenom. is because everybody on Rosh Hashanah prays. Everyone prays on Rosh Hashanah. What does everybody pray for? What is the prayer that every single human being on earth prays for? Parnasa. Lawyers praying for Parnasa. Doctors praying for Parnasa. The muffler guys praying for Parnasa. Everybody's praying for Parnasa. Now, when the doctor that's the most successful prays for Parnasa, now, why is he the most successful? Because he has the most amount of patience. So now when he prays for Mopan Asad, that means he wants even more patience, which means he wants more people to be sick. You want more people to go be sick, go to Gehenom. So, the, obviously, this is again, this is just a uh, parable to some extent. How come it says afterwards, Kasher uh, Shebat Abachim, the righteous in the Tabachim right. Shutafosh Ramalek is a, is a, what is the, the righteous of the I don't know I don't know the Pshad of that one I don't know uh, next one programming people that are in the programming business I uh, generally the nature of someone that's behind a screen is convenience the reason why people love Amazon or eBay or any of those things that are on the internet is because it created convenience. You don't have to go to the supermarket anymore. You don't have to go to the store anymore. You can just press a few buttons and it gets to, gets to your house. Trust me, we take advantage of that service as often as we possibly can. Uh, it's very convenient. But also, the profession of being behind a screen means that you are in a business of convenience. The people that you know created, for example, Facebook, they're trying to make friendship convenient. They're trying to make marketing convenient. The people that created Google, they're trying to make search convenient. The whole point is convenience. So the people that are programmers also have this mentality of, of, of convenience. So anything that's inconvenient is intolerable to them. So that's why the general nature that I've seen from experience from programmers is they like quick jobs. They like things that are quick. They're done quickly. They don't like to long-standing, long-term projects. They like things that are quick, a week, two weeks, a month max, month and a half, that's it. After that... They're either quitting or <laughs> they can't take it. And that's uh, it's, it's a very, very problematic to deal with them. I've had some really bad experience with them. Uh, construction. I've never met uh, someone that's truly happy with a construction person. And the reason why is because construction people, for some reason or another, their nature is to provide unfinished work. You'll see a million-dollar house, but it's missing a kitchen table or the kitchen counter or it's missing the bathroom. There's like a few rocks missing from the wall. Every house I've ever seen always has this, like, missing pieces. What happened? No, the guy said he came to finish, but he didn't come. Why? Because you already paid him. Once you paid him, he's not coming back. Network marketing. You guys ever hear about uh, pyramid schemes? They, the, you know, when people sell something in order to, to somebody so he could sell it. So let's say, for example, you want uh, Herbalife, this rotten company that... Uh, convinces people that they're going to become rich by selling their product, healthy and rich. In reality, they're the only ones that get rich and not everybody gets healthy. There's actually a very respectable uh, hedge fund manager called Bill Ackman that's been going against them for years already. 
uh, famous, famous uh, battle. Um, and uh, the point is, is that he proved that it's a the whole business in general, by definition, by definition, is corrupt. Problem is that people are so enticed by money, they don't care about the fact that most people under them are going to lose. This is how warped our reality is. This is how strong our Yetzirah is. And, and the, the key of saying all of this is to sum it up this way. We sum up the entire shiur this way. The real estate guy is always going to convince you to undersell. Million, pro- million dollar property, sell it for 800000 Why? Because he can make quick commission. The stockbroker, the investment guy is always going to make you or convince you to make many more transactions than you need to. Why? Because he needs to make his commission. The insurance guy is going to sell you a lot more insurance than you actually need. And it also makes it very difficult for you to actually collect uh, when it's time to collect. Or he's going to sell you something that you don't even want. Because in essence, for you to wish for somebody else to die by buying a life settlement, it's against Allah. Uh, next thing is the lawyer. The lawyer is always going to make you overdue. You have a $5,000 case, he's going to turn into a $35,000 case. That's just their nature. Why? Because they need to make money. The uh, doctor is going to treat you like a, uh, it's a factory. He's not going to spend that quality time, for the most part, that you want. And the reason why is because he doesn't actually care that you're sick. You care that you're sick. He cares about money. And again, yes, there are some good doctors in the world. There are some that actually care that you're sick. But again, this is a general rule of thumb. When it comes down to these dealing with these professions, this is the stuff to look for. Who not to deal with. Programming people, obviously, say anyone that I've actually dealt with, usually when they do the job for free, they're the best. As soon as they charge money for it, it's terrible. And the reason why is because usually when someone is interning or is uh, providing a service for free, it's because they're passionate about what they do. Where as soon as you pay somebody something, immediately the passion disappears and disintegrates into thin air. And money, the Yetzirah of money shows up. Network marketing or construction. Uh, we talked about uh, construction. Obviously, it's unfinished work. And network marketing is just a corrupt business. So now, what does this have to do with us with, with this whole shiur? Is that if you notice, every single one of these things, all of these flaws are fixable. The real estate guy can actually train himself and become a real good salesman and actually sell the property for what you want. That's the point of using him. He can get you the property for what you want. If you're buying, to buy it for less. If you're selling, to sell it for more. That's the point of being a professional. The stock guy can focus more on the investments and provide you the service that he says that he's going to try. Of course, there's going to be times that he's going to lose. There's going to be times that he's going to win. But the point is, at least he's going to do his best. Even though I've had many clients that have made money over the years, I've also had clients that lost a lot of money with me at some point. The point is, no one could ever say, I didn't try my best. Even at the end, when everything blew up in my face, the one thing that everyone knew is that I was my own biggest client. So you can't say I didn't believe in what I sold. Okay, yeah, you lost money. Sure, I lost a lot more than you. I lost more than everybody. You lost 100,000, you lost 200,000, you lost 500,000. Okay, great, I lost millions. I was my biggest client. So I didn't do what I did because it was just making money off of you. I believed in what we were doing. If you have a guy like that, that's who you deal with. That's who I would deal with. Insurance guy, you have to always get three, four, five opinions before you buy insurance. Because generally, most of them follow the same sales system. They're always going to try to oversell you and pretty much... But at some point, some people see that they, uh, if you have multiple opinions... 
they're going to be, come back more to reality. Stay away from certain parts of that insurance business. Lawyers, my personal opinion, unless you have a major, major corporation, you pretty much don't care about money, deal with small lawyers. Deal with small shops and also have the agreements ahead of time. Don't do these things where they charge you by the hour. You have a case that you know the case is going to last for a year, two years, three years. Make a deal with the guy that there's a cap. It can't be more than 10000 It can't be more than 20000 can't be more than 30000 Don't be one of these clients like I used to be. It's like, yeah, hey, whatever it costs, it costs, I'll pay you. Why? Because that's exactly what they're going to do. Whatever it costs, it costs. They're going to charge you 10000 20000 30000 40000 a month. As long as you're paying, it's what it costs. Doctor. It's uh, hard to find a good doctor these days because it means they actually have to care. But ultimately, you see that each one of these things... It's all fixable. How can you fix all of it? You got your mind. As soon as you know there's an eye that's watching, you're not going to undersell anyone. Because you know it's not, it's not ethical to sell something that's worth a million, to sell something that's worth 100000 for 80000 just because you're not patient. It's not ethical. It's not ethical to overcharge a guy. It's not ethical to oversell a guy. It's not ethical to sell him things that he doesn't need. It's not ethical to deal with people like they're a cattle. It's not ethical. As soon as you know there's an eye that's watching, everything changes. But Hashem knows that most people in the business world have such a big yetzalah for money that they don't look upstairs. They don't look upstairs. They don't look at Shemaim. So he said, okay, you know what? You're not going to look up there, so at least I'll put a government down here. So he made certain laws where those laws tame us. They don't make anyone honest, but they contain them. And that's what the essence of this Mishnah is. It says, yes, in essence, you're supposed to be afraid of the Malchut of Shemaim. You're supposed to be afraid of the Malchut of Shemaim. But because you're probably not, Hashem put the Malchut here in this world. Because if he didn't, you'd swallow your friend whole. Any questions? Amen.